Well, welcome to the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, Friday, 48 hours ago, was the first day of the month of, of Advent, and a lot of you were here, and we're grateful for that. It was our first Carmel Christmas, where we opened up the campus and had a lot of fun, and about 200 of you actually served as volunteers to serve, and it, we were so grateful for, I know you're probably pretty tired. There's still a little bit of glitter around the church uh, from things, but from best, best accounts from the team counting a moving amoeba known as that thing that happened Friday, we're guessing between three and 4,000 folks came Friday night. It was so great. The best part of that was how many that we were talking afterwards about how many that we were like, yeah, we met a lot of guests. It was their first time here. And or I saw a lot of people I didn't know. And we were just so thankful for that. And if, if you were one of them, that was your first time here on Friday and you came to church today, welcome. We're glad you're here. We're so grateful that you're here. And uh, what a great day to come because it's the kickoff of our, our four-week series on, uh, on Advent. But I want to ask you a question about Advent. Have you ever wondered what that word means? I'm a word nerd, so anytime I see a word that I don't know or I'm used to or, you know, I try to think, oh, what does that mean? And so on the surface, you know, it looks like adventure, right? Advent, adventure, but that's not really what it means. It means arrival. So when we talk about the first advent of Christ, it's about the first coming of Christ that, you know, Christmas is all about. But there's this thing in the Bible called the second advent or the second coming of Christ. And so we live between those two realities. The first is historical fact, and the second is this long-anticipated prophecy and promise that's coming. And when he comes back, he won't come in quite the same way that he came as the baby in the manger. I love Hebrews 9 where it says this, just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear sins of many, he will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So we live in this in-between time of the, of the Advents. And my goal for the series is to wed or have a wedding of four words with this series that we're going to embark upon called Never alone. So the four words are hope, which is today, peace, joy, and love. I want to have a wedding of that. Those words and, and never alone. And here's why. Five years ago, in a different context, in a different series that we're doing, I went to Amazon and I, I punched in for books the word loneliness. And five years ago, 5,000 books popped up on Amazon that were written about loneliness and we all know that the pandemic birthed a different pandemic that we're all dealing with now called loneliness and depression and anxiety and a lot of that. So this week, when I typed in the same word, 5,000 books is now 7,000 books. So 2,000 books written over the last few years about a topic that has affected not just America, the world actually. And so how does... How does the hope of the gospel and how does this remembering the first advent apply to that? So there's a hospital in Dallas, Texas that did a study to help answer this during, during the beginning of this, you know, the COVID and then the loneliness because they were noticing a pattern, like something was, was up. And they initially discovered and, and other studies have shown that 
Loneliness can affect your body in the same way as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's just wild. But anything stress, you know, because we're body, soul, and spirit, right? Made in the image of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if something's affecting your soul, your spirit's gonna affect your body. That's why depression makes you sleepy, right? That's why good news gives you a bolt of energy, right? Because your soul and your spirit affects your body and conversely the other way. And so they noticed that something was happening in, in Parkland Hospital and those around them in Dallas. And they found this. They identified 80 patients who went to four different hospitals or emergency rooms in the hospitals 5,139 times. 80, 80 patients <laughs> went 5,139 times in a 12-month period, costing the hospital system there in Dallas $14 million dollars. So they were like, why? Like, what's going on beyond physical ailment? You know what their number one answer was? Loneliness. Poverty and, and, and food shortage were, were, were contributive factors, but the number one was, was loneliness. And that's a mind-boggling fact. And what they discovered from the ER was that the ER gave these folks who were utterly alone and lonely feeling a sense that somebody cared and that they were seen and that they were known and they saw and they felt kindness. And that's true for all of us, right? That's embedded in us. That's what we long for is to belong to something or to someone. So this ancient text from Isaiah's prophecy uh, is the foundation of, of hope today. We, we know this well. Maybe this is the first time you've seen this. I, this guy, he was a prophet in the nation of Israel, and he wrote this about 700 years, seven centuries before Jesus showed up. And this is what he said. The, virgin him, the Lord himself will give you a sign that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and she'll call his name Emmanuel. So who knows what Emmanuel means? God with us. So God's solution to the human dilemma of aloneness and loneliness was Christ himself and to be the answer for our sin, to be the one who would take our sin and, and, and all that. And so when he said this, when he prophesied this, seven centuries go by. So there's a lot of longing, a lot of waiting, a lot of nothing happening. But 700 years later, something did happen. And so if you've got a Bible and you wanna go with me to Luke chapter two, I'll pick it up in verse 25, Luke two twenty-five, And it says this there that there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. And he was righteous and he was devout. And he was waiting. Would you say that with me? Waiting, okay? So hope and waiting, it doesn't feel like they go together, but they're cousins, okay? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, which was another way of saying the Savior or the Messiah, if you're Jewish. The consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And so moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying this, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Like I can die now, I can die now. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared for in the sight of all nations a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And the father and the mother marveled at what was said about him. 
In verse 36, it says, and there was a prophetess, Anna. So there's, there's another involved. Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She's old too. She's advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. So she was a widow a long time, but she didn't depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting day and night. And she came up at that very hour, at that same moment, listen, and she started to give thanks and to speak to him, to all of him, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So here's a truth that I want you to get right out of the gate, and that is this. We hope alone, but we hope together as well. Meaning that we're so Western and that we live by one two-letter word when we really should live by another two-letter word. In our Western life and thought, we are very me-driven. We're very, like, it's me. Get it my way, do it my way, all that jazz. But as followers of Christ, from this Hebraic way of thought and life in Judaism, it's about we, it's about us. But when it comes to like having hope or needing peace or joy, yeah, we hope alone, but we hope together too and as well. And there's a goodness about that. So notice these cousins. So what does it say first about Simeon? He's been there a long time. He's an old man. What's he doing? He's waiting. He's waiting for this Hope of Messiah to come. It's been 700-ish years. What about, what about Anna? She's waiting as well. But here's where I, I want you to hear the it's alone and together. Who's she, who she talking to? Everybody. She began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting. So everybody's waiting. Like, that's the way it was in Judaism in that time. If you were longing for a Messiah, you wanted him to come. But they weren't listening to what Isaiah had said, especially in Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant. And so they're waiting. And when these two older folks, Simeon and Anna, see Jesus and the Holy Spirit reveals to them, they're like, I, you know, Simeon's like, I can die now. And she's over here talking to everybody that'll listen. Like, that's him. That baby, that's that's the one we've all been waiting for. But when I talk about hope and wait, it's like, what does hope really mean? In the Hebrew language, it has this sense of, it's so very different than we say, you know, I hope I get a bike for Christmas, right? It's, it's not wishful thinking. It's not nebulous. It's not like fog that you can't grab. It has the sense of rope or it has a sense of a tight string. Like you grab ropes and strings. It was also used of like a guitar string that there's a tension in a, gu a guitar string that it's just, it's just waiting to be plucked, right? And from that tension with that, you know, and it's, I'm not gonna touch the tuners, but uh, it's been tuned perfectly and it's just there, it's just this, you know, latent energy and that tension. And then when these guys, boom, it's this melodic. And sometimes, uh, well, I forgot to do this and I didn't do this, didn't think to do this. First service, it might sound like, your waiting might sound like that. It ain't melodic. But when a trained professional grabs that boy, it's, ah, oh, keep playing. It's beautiful. And there is the song of life that we live within where we wait and we hope for things. And the greatest hope of those is Christ's return. 
That's what Advent season is really about. It's, yeah, there are these things that we hope for, that we're waiting for, and that we're longing for. It could be a prodigal child that's been praying, we've prayed for a spouse. It could be a medical condition. It could be job-related. It could be relationship. It could be a thousand things, and you all know them and are living them right now. And I get it. That's real. There's hope where you're longing for this to happen. But vertically is really where Advent season comes to life when you talk about hope. Hoping alone and hoping together and being reminded of this truth that no matter how much you love your life or hate your life or somewhere in between, that this life is not what we live for. Whether you love it or hate it, we live for the eternal life. We live for life in Christ that will be after this. We hope alone, but we hope together as well. But when you think about hope and waiting, you think about boring, if I'm honest. Amen? Waiting can be boring. I went to the doctor this week, and I was there, and this doctor that I go to, I normally, it's normally a pretty quick deal. Like, it's not that bad. They run a good practice. You know, they're not, it's not always an hour like some practices you go to. And at the two-hour mark, I walked up to the desk, and I was like, hey, my name's John Kennedy. That's my first name. Is everything okay? And they went, oh, I'm so sorry, Mr. Kennedy. It says right here that you checked out. And I was like, I'm here, right? And I know that guy's appointment was after me because I asked him, and he went in, and so I knew something was wrong. And I didn't bring anything to read because I thought I'd be waiting 15 minutes and go in. And so I was bored and I was a little frustrated along the way. It wasn't a fun thing. There's six teams in the United States that think they belong in a four-team college football playoff today. <laughs> and they have to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. I see you, Alabama shirt. There are six teams that think they belong in the four. And I love it because I think that system's so messed up. They had a hard job, that committee, to pick four teams. That's why March Madness is way more fun because everybody, almost everybody, it seems like, gets to play. That waiting, is it Monday or is it today? I don't know. It, but it's not real fun to wait, right, and to think, oh, I know we belong. But I don't know if they think we belong. And it can be boring. So Simeon waits and Anna waits for something, something far more substantive but waiting doesn't have to be boring. Waiting can be filled with joy. Within a matter of hours, our third grandchild will be born in Houston. Christy jumped on a big old jet airliner yesterday and took off for Houston, praying that the baby wouldn't come first because she's scheduled for induction tomorrow morning. But her body's been saying, I'm getting ready all week. And Christy's like, please don't come. And so there's a waiting, there's a waiting. And I woke up thinking about it and it wasn't boring at all. It was joyful. It was anticipation. It's, it's nerve wracking, but it's like, come little baby, right? Come on, let's go, let's do this thing. And that's the way our posture should be for the return of Christ. But we get so sucked into the affairs of this life because we think that this life is all there is. As much as you love it or hate it, this life, it's not all that there is. There is so much more. When grooms waited on an altar for their bride, I, I, I've done a bunch of weddings over the years, 
And I've, I've never seen a groom do this. I've never walked out with one and like looked over at him, him doing this. <laughs> you know, I've never seen that. I'll be shocked if I do. If I do, I'll, I'm going to give him a good elbow. Have you ever seen, have you ever been sitting out there going, look, honey, look at what he's doing. No, it's usually like, you know, and there's just all this energy. And I'm like, dude, you're going to laugh. You're going to cry. You're going to do both. Because grooms waiting for the bride to come, it's a wait that's filled with joy and it's good and it's right. And Simeon waited and Anna waited. And they waited with a a heart that was bursting. And they finally saw Jesus. So I got a text or an email from our nation's pastor this week, Bob Meisel. And if you're a guest today, one of our big three goals for the decade is scripture translation. And we want to raise money to help people have Bibles in their heart language. And so we had a goal to get that done. And the Lord's been good and gracious in that goal. And we got an email this week. And and I'm just going to read this to you uh, because it's it's too good to, to summarize. But she says this. Hey, Bob. This is from a lady at Seed Company. She said, I received some exciting news today that two of the Ukrainian uh, Roma languages have been published digitally in the YouVersion Bible app. Transcarpathian, aka Carpathian Romani Bible, and the Vlach Romani Bible are both available on the app. I just looked them up and praised the Lord for the people who will now have God's word in the palm of their hands. I couldn't wait to share this news with you and I hope you are encouraged by seeing God's word in a language that your church helped make possible. And this is what it looks like today on the YouVersion app. And to that, let's give thanks to the Lord. I mean, isn't that cool? You imagine living your whole life knowing Christ and hearing about all these other people that have Bibles in their heart language and you don't. Generations come, generations go, people are born, they die, they're born, they die, they're born, they die. And then, are we ever gonna get one? Well, today they do. And you're a part of that. And that's why we're so excited. You know, we set the goal of a million for the decade and uh, we're at a million five now after three years and that's why we're not stopping. Because what if we got to two or three over the decade? That's why. Because there's somebody in the Ukraine region of the world that's reading their Bible today for the first time in their heart language. That is so stinking good. Simeon waited, Anna waited, and they saw him, and their heart was filled with joy. And what gave them endurance in the waiting was that they really believed what they were waiting for and who they were waiting for. I walked into Starbucks one morning this week and a lady came out that I know uh, from the joy ministry. She has an adult son in the adult uh, uh, joy ministry. And she saw me, she goes, Pastor Alex. And she's beaming and tears start coming down her face. And she's a member of the Calcutta DC. And she said, I've had the best week. Our DC has helped a family from Columbia get set up in the States and it's to go over and to help them and to see the joy in their family and their happiness to, 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 to be seen and to be loved and to be helped you know, get going in their new life here in the US. She goes, it's been amazing. And I, I jumped in my Jeep and I was like, yeah, amen. That's hope. I saw hope demonstrated in her face that I know she was reflecting from that precious Colombian family that's now living here in Charlotte because 
hope's what gets you out of bed in the morning, guys. That's why hopelessness is so dangerous and so scary, right? Because hope, hope gets you out of bed in the morning and gives you energy to, to get after it. And just to remind ourselves that we, we hope alone, but we hope together as well. Paul says it this way to the Romans in chapter 8. He said, hope that's seen is not hope. <laughs> Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it. There's the cousin. We wait for it with patience. You see the combo? Hope is waiting. And we do so with patience. And we have patience when we really believe that it's not a thing or a present that we're going to get, but it's a person. That's why I love this last song. Hope has a name. I pulled up last night, I pulled up, I just punched in hope into my Spotify because I wanted to listen to some hope songs later in the night as I was falling asleep. And hope has a name comes up and I listened to it over and over and over. I was like, oh, I wish we could sing that tomorrow. <laughs> I hadn't paid attention to the Spotify light up for today because that was our last song. And I was like, yes, exactly. Hope has a name. It's not a concept. It's not a principle. It's not a truth. It's a person. His name is Jesus. He has a name. Titus 2 says it this way, as far as hope having a name. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to announce ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age, waiting for the, our blessed hope. What's that? Who's that? Jesus, waiting for our blessed hope. Hope has a name. He, the appearing of the glory of our great and God, God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify us for himself as his, his people. And so when you find yourself in that place of hopelessness and just like, you know, it's, it's a day that turns into a week, that turns into a month, and you start like, gosh, I just can't, I can't get out of this thing. Well, if you're, if you're rolling there, if you're rolling there alone, if you're hoping alone, that's always a red flag, right? That's why we hope, we hope together so that uh, when we see each other like that, we can, we can connect. One of the best places that I've found in scripture to uh, help myself when I feel down or depressed or hopeless is in the strangest of places and if you weren't here years ago, I, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, we did a series here called Route 66. And we went from Genesis to Revelation for a year and a half, and we looked at a book a day, and then we dove into it. And in the book or the prophecy called Lamentations, there's this jewel. And there are five major prophets there in the Old Testament. And the second, the third of uh, uh, Jeremiah and Lamentations are written by the same guy, Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet who ministered for 40 years without one person listening to him. Utterly depressing for a pastor to read that. I cannot imagine 40 years and no one listening or heeding the message, right? But he did, and he was faithful. But in Lamentation, he watches his beloved hometown, Jerusalem, get 
destroyed and devastated because, and he had been telling them, guys, listen, you gotta stop doing it your own way. We've gotta follow God's word and we gotta run from the idols and the pagan gods or he's gonna judge us. And he judged, he judged his people in his hometown and Jerusalem was destroyed and they got taken away for 70 years in, in exile, right? And in that, he's writing. And so Lamentation is a collection of uh, uh, funeral messages or dirges. And in the middle of them is this great passage of hope. So I'm gonna start off by reading along the way because it's too long to read all the bad, but I'll pick it up in chapter three, verse 16. He's made my teeth grind on gravel. Have you ever chewed on rock? I actually did. I won't name the restaurant. It was at Waverly a couple years ago. (laughs) I ate a rock. And I went up and showed it to the manager, and I thought I'd get like a, here's a year's pass to eat at our restaurant, but I got like a 20% off coupon. I was like, I could have sued you guys. I ate two pieces of rock in your bowl. It was crazy, right? And it didn't feel good. He's, sorry, I digress. I didn't name the restaurant, though. He has made my teeth grind on gravel, and he made me cower in ashes, My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say this, my endurance has perished and so has my hope. So I'm hopeless. He's saying, I'm hopeless. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. And he's gonna talk to himself. You've heard the phrase, preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself of what you believe. He says, this is all true. I've been eating rocks and wormwood, whatever that is, and this gall, and it's awful. And the hometown's destroyed. But I recall this, and because of it, I have hope. And this is what he remembers. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and his mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Your faithfulness is great. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. There's the cousin again, waiting. You see, hope has a name, because what he's saying is he's reminding himself of who God is. He's loving, he's merciful, he's faithful. It's the nature and the character of God. That's what pulls him out of his despair. See, hope has a name, and we hope alone, but we hope together. So what might that look like for you next Thursday or next month or next year when you find yourself in a pit of hopelessness? It might look like this. You get your Bible and you find that book, Lamentations, chapter three, and you say this in a prayer, something like this. Father, I feel like I've been eating rock. I'm in ash. I don't have any peace. I don't even know what happiness looks like anymore. It's been so long. My hope has perished. I'm just hopeless, Lord. But I know this to be true. I know your love for me never ends. I know your mercy never ends. And I know as sure as the sun rises today and tomorrow and every other day, you're faithful. 
See, he's not surprised by anything we say. He knows the rock that you're grinding your teeth on. And he loves you. And can I just tell you this? Sometimes, you know, hopelessness could come from outside circumstances, but also can come from our own junk. On your best day and on your worst day, his love for you never changes. Because it's not connected. It's not tethered to your performance. His love for you is tethered only to him and his nature and his character. So that's why I can say on your best day and your worst day, he loves you the same. So friend, whether you're here or worshiping in an apartment in Houston, Texas right now, I know you are, my wife and my family, or anybody else for that matter, we are never hopeless in Christ. It can feel that way, but discipline yourself to pray this text and other such things to say, Hope has a name. I think I'll talk to him about that. Let's do that now. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we bow our hearts before you. We thank you for your word that's living and active and it speaks so clearly. And Father, I know that there, are, there has to be someone here or, or worshiping online that is, is really struggling. It feels hopeless just discouraged and down. I want to ask you something. Did something from the text, at some point, some part of the scripture really grab your attention today? Like you, were, you, you felt like a jolt of encouragement. Like, yes. Let's all talk to the Father about just that right now. Would you go for it?